One of the things that I love most in life is being a father, is being a dad. I really enjoy it. And a few of you guys recently have come up to me and said, you know, Doug, we took the evidence CD set out there at the info desk and we listened to it. And when you talk about your kids, they were all little and they're grown up now. You know, if you listen to those, that was seven years ago. And so my kids have all aged quite a bit. And when Cade was six, one of the things that I did was I allowed him or asked him to rather read uh, uh, some stories he wrote about Super Mario Brothers back at the time when he was six years old. And I was listening back to that, and I wanted to read some of it to you today here. I won't make him do it at this point in his life, because he won't talk to me for a few weeks if I did that. But I'm going to read to you guys some stories he wrote when he was six, and you guys can read along on the screens. This is how he spelled the stuff there, and it was fully illustrated. I don't have the pictures here, but here we go. All right. It says this, Oh no, Princess Peach is captured by Bowser. Can Mario save her? Yes, he can. Mario will save her. Where did Ouija go? Now, A-W-E-J-E is Luigi, okay? So that's Ouija, all right? Then Princess, Princess Peach says, get me out of here. Ho, ho, ho. Bowser says, fight Mario, Ouija. Now, why would Ouija fight Mario? It's because if you had the fully illustrated version, you would know Bowser had some mind control going on, and that's why Ouija would be willing to fight Bowser here. Then it says this. He says, get me out of here. Oh, no, I read that part. Sorry. I do not want to fight you. Ouija said, Mario. Mario saved Ouija. But where did Mario go? Now Mario is stuck. Bowser took Mario. Mario says, get me out of here. Ho, ho, ho. Bowser captured him now. Mario got out. Yay. Mario, Princess Peach, and Ouija took a walk. Bowser came. Mario fighted Bowser. Mario wins. Isn't that amazing, right? A nice little six-year-old story there. Uh, my daughter, Brim, loves to sing. And when she was just two years old, one night, we decided to take out our phone. We don't have a video recording, just an audio recording. I just want to play you like 30 seconds of this. And I'm sorry to the stream. I don't think it's going to make it to you guys. But just a, a quick 30-second spot of us singing some worship songs with Bryn when she was two years old. Go for it, guys. I love the New York accent. I love, right, right? You know, right? So great. I thought she was going to have that little squeaky voice for her entire life, but she growed up a bit, you know? It's like rough. Uh, and then lastly, my son Landon. I'm actually going to invite him to come up onto the stage right now. He's going to do a magic trick for you all. So would you guys welcome Landon? I believe he's coming out this way. Here he is. All right. Okay. Here he is. Come here, buddy. All right. So Landon, uh, you have a little magic trick for us, right? Yep. All right, good. And uh, you're going to go ahead and do what here? You got a ball. Tell us about the ball. Okay, we're going to throw the ball to the audience so you know this is random, so you know that no one is in on this, all right? So go ahead, Landon, give it a throw. Ooh, all right. Now, Landon, come here, come by the mic. Is, is Todd supposed to come up, or is he throwing that somewhere else now? All right. One, two, three. All right, is he coming up, or are we throwing it somewhere else? <laughs> Are you willing to help us out? You willing to help us out? Come on up. Come on up. Awesome. All right. Let's hear it for him. Cool. All right. Awesome. Yeah, you come up that way if you want. Landon's been working on all kinds of incredible magic tricks lately. Someone asked me after the first service, he can make me disappear. He said, I wish. So uh, there you go. Yeah, that was his nice little response there. But yo, good to see you, man. How you been? Awesome to have you here, bro. All right, cool. 
All right, so I'm going to move out of the way here a little bit. And then Landon, go ahead. You tell him what we need to do here. I'll take the ball back. That was just to get oh, you up okay. here. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Landon. Oh. From the top, you can cut it. Yeah, cut the deck. Here, stand this way, buddy, so everybody can see. All right, good. Got it? All right. All right. Don't show Landon, right? Don't show you. Show the audience? <laughs> All right, good. Now, now what's the next step here? All right. Shuffle it on in. All right. Very good. He, he can't even see the shuffling, all right? Much less anything else. All right. Good? All right, Landon. We're ready. Okay. Let's see if he can pull this off. I don't know. I'll see. I'm a little nervous here, Landon. You got this or what? He's <laughs> like, I don't care, Dad. This is your gig. Oh, is it in the end of the pile? Wow. All right, Landon. Good job, buddy. Awesome. Thank you, bro. So appreciate it, man. All right. Ooh, man, I was nervous. I was nervous there a little bit. That's great. All right. Well, I love being a dad. I love uh, being a father. And um, I'm, I'm not only do I love being a dad, I'm blessed to have a great dad and also blessed to have a great heavenly father. And I was, I was thinking about today and talking, you know, around Christmas time. It's tough for us preachers to have to come up with a new message every Christmas, you know, like what are we going to do this year and how are we going to, you know, kind of bring a new angle and how can we bring something new out of a story that's so famous, you know. And I began to really think about the fact that our heavenly father is not someone we think about a lot at Christmas time, right? We think about the sun and we're going to focus on the sun all next week as we come to celebrate Christmas Eve together. But we don't think about our Heavenly Father a lot during Christmas time. But the interesting thing is, it's safe to say without our Heavenly Father, there would be no Christmas. There would be no Savior. All these things we celebrate right now wouldn't be happening. And I think some of us, as we begin to kind of like think this way, my prayer and my hope is that we'll begin to sort of see Christmas from a different point of view. That instead of maybe sort of the same you know, lens we almost always view Christmas through, that we'll see it through the lens of the Father. That, man, he was super involved in this whole plan of salvation. And I just really want us to capture and kind of feel what he must have felt as this whole Christmas plan unfolded. Some of you guys may be saying, why should we care about this? Why should I, you know, listen in for the next little while here today? I think we should care about this because our Heavenly Father isn't just Jesus Heavenly Father. He's also our Heavenly Father when we have put our trust in Him. And I think that comes with some baggage and some trickiness. Like I think some of us have a misconception of God. He's like a cranky old man, you know? Like all He wants to do is, is kind of be an angry, cranky old man. Maybe that's the perception you have. It's like Jesus is sort of warm and cuddly, but then there's the Father, you know? And sometimes we don't quite know maybe how to approach our Heavenly Father. I think another thing that can kind of play into this is some of us have a great earthly dad, and some of us, unfortunately, don't. And sometimes the, the baggage from our earthly dads gets carried over to our relationship with our heavenly father. I think another thing we can struggle with here is some of us just have this view of God the Father, like he's just waiting to catch us doing something wrong. Like that's his role. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're here today, and you kind of have thought your whole life, like, 
you know, I'm just not a good enough person to be close to God, or I'm trying real hard, I hope God accepts me, but maybe you don't really know how that all works. And so today, I just hope that we can focus on God the Father, and especially us parents in the room, man, I think we will be able to feel some of the things our Heavenly Father felt as he sent his Son. If you're not a parent yet, I, I hope as you approach that, as maybe that day comes for you, you will think and feel so, about some of the things that our Father felt as this plan of salvation unfolded. Now, my prayer for you guys today is that three things will happen. Number one, we will get an accurate view of who our Heavenly Father is, that he is not a cranky, angry old man. Number two, I pray that our appreciation for him will go through the roof. And number three, I pray we will be secure in our Heavenly Father's love for us. I want you to think about a person right now in your life who makes you feel secure because they love you so well. We probably all have at least one person like that, you know? And they're imperfect, and yet their love makes us feel secure. Well, imagine the love of a perfect Heavenly Father. You might think today, what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. Without our Heavenly Father, Christmas never would have happened. So today, I want to look at Christmas from a different point of view. So let's do a little bit of a, a wide-angle shot, and then we're going to zoom in, all right? So wide-angle shot is God creates mankind. Father, Son, Spirit involved in creating mankind. Then mankind turns their back on God, and God had placed them in paradise, right? Everything was perfect, and yet mankind turns their back on God. And the first clue we get about who God is and how he's going to treat us comes very soon after the first people sin. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, just three chapters into the whole Bible, we see mankind's sin, but we also see how God reacts. Now, there were some consequences to that sin, just like sometimes there are for us. But look at what God the Father does in Genesis chapter 3. Look how God interacts with his creation. Verse 21 says this, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So Adam and Eve are standing there naked, guilty, ashamed. They were trying to hide behind some bushes, right? Trying to hide you know, behind some fig leaves and cover themselves up maybe a little bit. And here we have this unbelievable first act of mercy and grace and love by God. He covers them. He covers their guilt. He covers their shame. And there's two things that stand out to me about what God did here. Number one is, God did this for them. Think about that. God didn't look at Adam and Eve and say, well, you guys are a mess now, you're naked, you're ashamed, and you're guilty. Go figure out how to cover yourselves. No, God made a sacrifice to cover them in ways they couldn't have covered themselves, right? And almost to say, you can't get rid of your guilt and shame. Only I can deal with that. The second thing that stands out to me is how God covered them. He had to sacrifice something innocent, right? And we're going to talk more about that as we move on. But I want you to remember, something innocent had to die to cover the sin of mankind. So this is the starting point. Thousands of years pass by. People continue to sing, continue to do the wrong thing. But the Father promises a Savior, right? And David tells us a Savior is coming. Isaiah tells us a Savior is coming. Micah tells us a Savior is coming. And as Mankind continues to spiral out of control. I mean, people are murdering one another. People are raping one another. People are doing horrific things. What will God do? Will he keep his promise? Will he still send help for you 
and for me. Why would he? When we've done what we've done, when mankind has turned into what they've turned into, why would our Heavenly Father still treat us with grace and mercy? But then it happened. We fast forward, and we're going to zoom in here in Galatians 4. It says this, but when the set time had fully come. That's interesting. There was a time set for help to come. And here's the big question we have to ask, and this is what God, God the Father has to do with Christmas. Who set that plan in motion? It was our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father set that plan in motion. Without Him, there would be no plan of salvation. You see, sometimes we look at God like, you know, God the Father, like He's the angry one. He's the one that's going to catch us in trouble. But it was His initiation of the plan of salvation that is our hope here at Christmas time. And I just want to today think about the Christmas story from His point of view. Think about all that would happen and all that would unfold. Think about how mankind, his creation, revolts against him. And yet, what's he going to do? Let me ask you this. If you were God, what would you have done? If you had created mankind and they revolted against you, what would you have done? Would you have wiped them out? Would you have started over? What did God our Father do? Look what it says in the next part of the verse. God sent his son. God sent his son here to us. Wait, this isn't supposed to happen, right? Like, after all we've done, after all mankind has has done to turn their backs on God. He's not supposed to pursue us. And even if he was going to pursue us, isn't he only supposed to pursue us to the point that he tells us how we can make things right? Like, shouldn't the responsibility of undoing all the wrong be on us, not on him? And yet, here, our Father sends his Son. Maybe you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're not really sure what Jesus is all about, right? It's like, he sounds like a loving guy. It sounds like he, you know, He's been very humble and he sacrificed his life, I guess. Maybe you're not even sure about all that, but, but maybe you're here today saying, but I still have to be really good, right? Like if I'm not good, I have no hope. In fact, that's why Galatians was written, was because the people, the Galatians living there in Galatia, they were trying to save themselves. And Paul wrote Galatians to say, you can't save yourself. And so he's reminding them of this story, which is really the Christmas story, by saying a Savior came to rescue you. And what you and I need to realize today is the only reason the Savior came is because the Father sent him. That's who God our Father is. That's who our Heavenly Father is. And I just want to think about some things from his perspective. Think about God the Father sending his Son. Kelly and I love being parents. We just enjoy it so incredibly much. And I have to wonder how hard it was for the father to count the days until he would send the son. Like Kelly and I literally count the days we have left with our kids until they ditch us for college. Right? We, we literally walk around our house whispering, Suffolk, Suffolk, Suffolk. Like, like, you know, Stony Brook, Stony Brook, you know, St. Joe's, like chanting, you know, subliminal messages in the TV, whatever we got to do to keep the kids close, right? With Cade, we have 1,643 days until he goes to college. With Bryn, we have 2,373 days. With Landon, 3,103 days of magic tricks until he goes to college. And I just have to believe that God the Father was counting the days. He had left with the Son until he would send him. Because he knew what he was sending him to. He knew what he was sending him to accomplish. He knew the kinds of people he was sending his Son to. I know God lives outside of time, and that changes some things, but this verse tells us that there was a set time, which means there was a date on the calendar that the Father said, this is the day that you go, and that was Christmas. 
Then it goes on. It says, born of a woman. So he sent his son, born of a woman. So God creates mankind, and then mankind revolts, and then God sends his son to be born of the mankind that revolted against him. Think about that. Have you ever created anything? Sure, we all have, right? I think of my dad. He's very handy, and he's created some very cool things for us over the years. He built a cradle for us when our kids were born. He built this huge fire truck toy bin. I mean, just handcrafted this stuff, just dreamed it up and made it. I'm, like, jealous that he can do that. But here's what I would guess. If, if God forbid, our house caught on fire tonight, and we all ran out to safety, and I called my dad's dad, my house is on fire, it's burning to the ground. I, I would guess probably the last thing he would say to me is, run back in there and take out and save the things that I made for you, the things that I created for you. Yet that's exactly what our Heavenly Father did for us. He sent his son back into the fire to pull you out and to pull me out after we had wronged him over and over again. And then it says this, not only was he sent, not only was he born of a woman, but he was born under the law. So God creates guidelines because mankind's going crazy. He creates the law so we won't keep killing each other and stealing from each other, doing these terrible things to each other. And he then says, okay, son, I am requiring you to keep the law that no one else can keep. I'm requiring you to fulfill the law everyone else is failing to keep. Have you ever made rules and then broken them? Yeah, it's called parenting, right? <laughs> Isn't that what we do? As parents, it's the best thing in the whole world. No, you can't eat on the couch, but I'm going to sit here and mock you because I can and you can't, right? It's awesome. But that's not what God our Father did. No. He created these rules. And then he looked at his son and said, they can't keep them, but you will. Because God is just. God required that the law be fulfilled. And so Jesus fulfilled the law in your place and in mind. Then verse 5 says he did this, to redeem those under the law. And we've talked about this word redeem a lot in the past. It means to buy back, right? And I remember as a kid, my mom, man, she'd collect all the, the soda cans, and then we'd end up at Wallbaums or Pathmark, all these stores that are out of business now, right? And we would redeem the cans. I always thought I was redeeming the cans, right? Isn't that what you thought? I'm going to go redeem the cans. That's what we say, right? But actually, it was the store that was redeeming the cans. They were buying back what was worthless to you. And Jesus came to redeem us, buy us back. You and me, all of our sin, all of our shame, all these things. And I just, can you imagine from the Father's perspective watching all of this? How did Jesus buy us back? Not with some soda cans or some loose change, with his life. And just imagine the Father watching all of this, right? Watching his son be abused and misused. If you want to get to me, mess with my kids, right? Parents in the room, we get that. If you want to mess with me, mess with my kids, right? My, my daughter, Brynn, unfortunately, has been bullied a few times, and that gets me going, you know? My son, Cade, plays baseball. He's had some great coaches and some really awful ones, and, and one day after a game where he went three for four, the coach was, was talking with him after the game about, man, something's been off with your swing lately. You know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's just not working right now. And, I felt, and, he, and he's saying, yeah, you're hitting the ball to right field instead of left. And I felt like saying, why don't you go speak with your son who was 0 for 4 about his swing today, right? And by the way, when you hit the ball to right field instead of left, that's called opposite field hitting, and it's really hard to do, and we work really hard on it. Well, I didn't say all that, but it feels good to get it out now. So thank you for <laughs> just sort of letting me get that out a little bit. But whoo. Man, God, woo, church is good. We'll get you all up here one after another. Yeah? Here's why my boss and my, my wife and my kids. No, it's okay. We're good. We're good. But if you want to mess with me, right, mess with my kids, right? But here, here is the father watching his son be beaten, be 
mocked, have his, his beard and his hair ripped out, being punched, being spit on, being kicked, being made fun of, put a crown of thorns on his head and eventually nailed to a cross. I mean, have you ever thought about the Father's perspective? He knew on Christmas morning that's what would Jesus, that's what Jesus would one day face. He knew that's what life was going to be, right? One of the scriptural writers gave Jesus the name, the man of suffering. And this was from the Father's perspective, imagining this day's coming. I'm going to send him anyway. This day's coming. I don't want it to come, man. I'm counting down the days till I have to send him, but I'm going to send him. To be born of a woman, to have to fulfill the law, to redeem them and buy them back. Do you know what? else the father had to watch during this process is he had to watch his son restrain its power. Think about that. His son being beaten and punched would restrain his power. Because you know what the father knows? The father knows that all Jesus would have to do is say the word and all those soldiers beating him would drop to the ground dead. One word. The father watched his son restrain his power. My nine-year-old who did his magic trick for you today loves to mess with my 13-year-old. Loves to push his buttons. Loves to drive him absolutely crazy. And I said to my nine-year-old recently, I said, Landon, if Cade unleashed on you, he would hit you so hard, you'd be back in 1985 before you can say mullets and fanny packs. I mean, it would be ugly, right? But I watched Cade restrain his power day in, day out. And the father watched the son restrain his power. Jesus could have blinked and every of his enemies would have been annihilated. And yet he watched him hold in and restrain that power. Imagine the moment when the father abandoned the son. Remember Jesus on the cross? He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And it was that moment when the wrath of God for all of our sin was completely taken out on the son of God. And the father had to turn his back on his son because that's what sin deserves. That's what every one of us deserves. And yet, as I've told you in the past, the Father turned his back on the Son in that moment so he'd never turn his back on you and on me. I can't imagine how hard it was for the Father to do this. I can't ever imagine any circumstances under which I would trade the life of my child for somebody else. I can't imagine the pain that he must have felt. Ephesians tells us that God the Father loves the Son. Matthew tells us that when Jesus was baptized, the Father said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This was not an easy sacrifice. This cost Jesus everything. It cost the Father everything too. Christmas from a different point of view. So the Father sends the Son to buy us back and to redeem us. But why would he do this, especially after all we've done? Why would he do this? The next part tells us that we might receive adoption to sonship. Why did he send them? So you could be his kid. Why do you allow him to be beaten and punched and crucified so you could be his child? That's what God gets out of this. That's what the Father gets. Is your perspective of our Father changing today? He's not cranky. He's not mad. Does he discipline us sometimes? Yeah, because he loves us just like any one of us parents in the world would discipline our kids sometimes because we love them. But he's a good father. He's not your earthly father. And he's not waiting for you to fix everything that you've done wrong. No, he sent his son to do that. This is the Christmas story. Then verse 6 says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, 
Father. So not only do we get to become God's kids, but we get the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you know that makes a difference. You know peace and joy and, and love and some things begin to start to come out of you that weren't there before. And that's the Holy Spirit at work in us. But not only that, we get to call him Abba, Father. In Aramaic, the word Abba means daddy. We get a dad because of Christmas. We get a father because of Christmas. Maybe you didn't have a good dad. Maybe you didn't know your dad. Maybe he died a long time ago. Maybe you've had no relationship with him for a long time. Maybe he's here sitting next to you today and he's the best dad in the whole world. But guess what? We get a perfect heavenly father because of Christmas. Then it says this in the last part we're going to look at today. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So we as God's kids get all that is his. So if he's full of joy and peace today, I'm telling you today he is. God's perfectly at peace today. He's perfectly at joy today. He literally is the definition of love like we looked at two weeks ago, right? And so you get in on that. Also, one day when you stand with him in heaven, you get all else that belongs to him, which means no more sickness and no more death and no more sin, no more temptation, no more fear and all that that comes along with it. You're seeing our Heavenly Father in a different light today. You're seeing how paramount He and His plan was to Christmas. Are you seeing what it cost Him? Are you seeing what He must have felt? Are you feeling what He must have felt? See, I think that as we focus on Jesus at Christmas time, it's right to do. We've also got to focus on our Heavenly Father. And what I would sort of just sum up all of this to say is that our Heavenly Father, gave his best to rescue us at Christmas. That's the kind of father we have. Father that give his best, his son, to rescue you and me at Christmas. That he was willing to count the days and send his son. He was willing to watch the son endure the mocking and the shame and the crucifixion. He was willing to watch him restrain his power. And he was also ready for the day his son would rise back from the dead and he would welcome not only his son, to life, but you and me, who would put our trust in him. See, that's the amazing father that we have. I hope today you have a new view of him. He's not an old cranky man. He's not your dad. He's a loving, good father. I hope today your appreciation of him is growing. I hope today you are more secure in the love that this father has for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Last week I asked a question. I said this. I said, what would somebody have to do to prove to you that they love you? If they died for you, would that prove it? Well, let me tweak that question this week. What would somebody have to do to prove to you that they love you? What if they gave the life of their child in your place? Would that prove it to you? Because that is what our Father has done. And there is nothing like knowing that we are forgiven here and now, knowing that heaven awaits us, that it's not a question, we're not trying to figure it out, we're not trying to hope and pray that we've done enough good to outweigh all the bad, but no, we are saved, not because we are good, but because God is good. We are saved, not because we have performed well, but because Jesus performed perfectly in our place. There's nothing like the assurance of that. This past week, I was studying with my daughter, Brim, and she was working on some history stuff, and they're studying ancient Egypt, and they were talking about mummification and all those different things when someone would pass away. And one of the things they would do that jumped out at me is they would actually remove the heart of a person who had died. 
And then they would weigh the heart. They would get a scale. And they would literally put the human heart in this side. And on the other side, they would put some representation of their goddess of truth. And what they believed would happen is, as the heart was weighed to find out if it was a good heart or an evil heart, a demon would crouch below the scale. And if the heart was weighed to be found heavy with guilt and sin, the demon would eat the heart, erasing all hope of an afterlife. I'm so thankful that we don't have to wait until that last moment to figure out if our heart is heavy with sin or full of love. I'm so thankful we don't have to wait till that last moment to figure out if we have an afterlife or if this is all there is. I'm so thankful that our Savior has removed our guilt and our shame here and now. And we can know because of a historical event, the coming of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can know that we are loved and we are saved. And we have a good Father. Because our Heavenly Father gave His best to rescue us at Christmas. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have not left us to our own. You've not left us to ourselves. You've not left us to figure this out. You've not left us to perform our way into rightness with you. The weight is not on our shoulders. We thank you, Father, that you had a plan of salvation, that you would forgive mankind by giving your son in our place. We thank you that the plan of Christmas is your plan, Father. If you're a Christian, Maybe today's the day to approach your Father in a new way. To approach your Heavenly Father, recognizing His love for you and His grace for you. Recognizing He's not a cranky old man. He's not your earthly dad. He's not waiting for you to perform your way into rightness with Him. He loves you just like you are right now. He desires a closer relationship with you. Maybe today's the day you approach Him in a new way. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would encourage you just to pray something quietly right now. Begin a conversation with God. Maybe you can pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Would you forgive me for my sin? Show me how real you are, God. Put your Holy Spirit in my life to make the difference. And I thank you for this gift of salvation I could never earn. Thank you, I do not have to work my way to you. But you have saved me. That's what Christmas is all about.